This is a Founding Media podcast. Welcome to the Balance Badassery podcast, your weekly fix of wellness wisdom. I'm your host, Ali Waddell. How do you find time for mindfulness in your life? This week, I'm digging into connecting with ourselves, each other, and being more mindful in the ways we move through this crazy universe with philosopher, thinker, and friend, Eric Gotzi. Here's my conversation with Eric. And I have my man, Eric Gotzi. He is what I like to call a modern-day philosopher. He's a woke-as-fuck human who is really helping people understand themselves and live better, happier lives. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for giving me way too big of a title to possibly live up to, but I will do my best. (laughs) Well, you really are a modern-day philosopher. I mean, you read more philosophy, a man under the age of 30, than I would say (laughs) 99.99% of the population. So how did you kind of get into this down the rabbit hole of the younger land and everything else? Um, Well, so I guess to answer that question, it's really how far do I want to try to go back to explain it. But I think essentially I got a big ego in high school getting good at basketball. And then I thought I was going to be in the NBA, which was delusional. And then I tore my rotator cuff when I was a junior. And then like a week after that, my mom was taking a online college course uh, in philosophy and she was explaining to me what was going on. And I'd never really been introduced to philosophy before then. And with the ego that can only be developed from being good at a sport, but being dumb enough and naive enough to think that you could play professionally, I started studying philosophy. And then um, I started eating mushrooms when I was like 19. And I kind of had an existential crisis that the only way that I could kind of save my brain was to study philosophy insanely. And I actually just thought about this a couple of weeks ago, but I think if I had been living with my parents when um, I was 19 and I kind of had this deep existential crisis, if they had taken me to a psychiatrist, I would have probably have been diagnosed with some type of mental disorder. I would have probably have been given drugs and I probably would not be who I am now, but I lived alone and I tried to put my brain back together. And the person that kind of helped me the most was Carl Jung. And I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I would be, that I would read his collected works before I was 30. I don't know why, but I had that feeling. And then I went to Peru a couple of months ago, did Wachuma, and just came back and realized, okay, it's time. Mm -hmm. And then since then, I've been doing that every day. And where are you on that grand journey of reading all of his works? First, explain how many works he has, like what, because I'm guessing most people don't know, like the mass of of things that he wrote. It's ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, so his collected works are 20 volumes, and each volume is a collection of essays and books and lectures. And um, I read decently fast, and I'm reading for an hour to two hours a day, and I've read almost every single day for four months, and I'm 28% of the way through. (laughs) When's your birthday? January 1st. Oh! Yeah. January 1st, like... In a few weeks? Yeah. Oh, man, oh, man. Yeah. Get on it. I'm trying to stay on it, Literally. Yeah. Uh, so what I love that I just heard you said is that something resonated with you at some point and said, I need to read this by the time I'm 30. And and one of the f- 
philosophies that I've heard you talk about is this idea of like everybody is their own God and this this idealized self is all is always within you. Yeah. And that's the thing that's kind of judging you from within. And Absolutely. that's where that drive comes from of like, okay, yeah, my life is fine, but obviously I need to push it a little further. So kind of explain your philosophy around how is everybody have a God within them. Yeah. So I think whatever, so the word God is really a symbol that we're using to try to point to something that's beyond language. And, you know, it's like if you go to a restaurant and you see the menu and you try to eat the menu, you're, you're misunderstanding what the menu is. The menu is actually something that you can use to get food and then you can experience food. I think, so whatever God is, is beyond my understanding. But I think that there's a category in everyone's mind that feels like God, and it's your potential. It's the human you know you could be if you did everything that you know you should and you stopped doing all the things that you know you shouldn't. And it's so, it's weird, but all of us feel this. All of us feel that there is the person who we could be, who we aren't yet. All of us know in the moment when we're doing a thing that we know we shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. And all of us know, like, these are the things in life that I should be doing, but then I'm not. And um, your potential, in some sense, is watching you right now. Like, it's watching you all the time. It knows all of your thoughts. And I choose to believe, and this might just be a useful fiction, but it's helped me manifest the life that I want, is that my potential wants me to become him. Mm -hmm. And he talks to me through intuition. And it's up to me to be heroic and to do the things that my ego is afraid to do that my intuition asks me to do. And like one of those things is to read this collection of fucking books. <laughs> <laughs> that is so aligned with kind of a philosophy that I teach people is like, the only thing you need to do to be this higher version of yourself is start to act like them, Absolutely. her. Act. Act. It's in the daily small minutia action. People think it's like this huge, like, oh, God, I have to become this other person, which you do. But you do that in the small action. And so I That's always right. say, like, you need to first take the time and the space to envision what the hell that person is thinking, doing, being, feeling every single day. And then what then it makes everything an A-B decision. It's like, is this right. decision in this moment getting me closer to that path or keeping me here or moving me away? And another thing that you talk about that I like, I'm going to beat this into people's heads is like <laughs> this idea that you're stuck or you don't know what you want or that you, right. you know, I, I, I don't know what I want. I, ugh, I mean, God, ugh, it gets really annoying. I'll just tell you. But one of the issues is that people just do not give themselves the space and the time to sit the hell down and get crystal clear on what that future person needs, wants, desires, embodies, feels, what they're going to be doing with them li their lives. And so how do you how do you take people? I mean, how do you explain people the importance of that? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways to get at this. The first one is I think anyone who says that they don't know. Um, a part of me genuinely feels like they're being insincere and that the truth is, is I'm afraid. So when people say, I don't know what I want to do, I think what they're really saying is I'm afraid. And all of us have, like, if we sat down and we set a timer for five minutes and we wrote down, what are the things that I know I should be doing that I'm not doing because I'm afraid? And if we're willing to be honest, every single person listening to this has a list. 
Those are our quote unquote dragons. Those are the things that we know we need to face that we're not facing. And I feel like when there are obstacles that we know we need to face that we don't face out of fear, it like it restricts our energy and it kind of like it, it just it brings a mist and a fog into our life. And then we can claim, oh, well, I don't know. I think you do know. And I think the truth is, is that you're afraid. Now, I, I do meet people who seem like they're genuinely trying their hardest and they don't seem to know. And my advice to those type of people is to try to act and to do a bunch of things and to feel how your body feels while you're doing the thing. And you will find it by acting and trying and feeling how you feel in the moment. So I think that there's two types of people that say mm-hmm. that thing. 80% of them, I think it's just fear. Mm-hmm. You're just not facing the shit that you know you need to face. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a smaller percentage of those people who it seems to be, they're genuinely trying and they mm-hmm. seem to not know their thing yet. And I think that the way that those people find their thing is not to write about it and not to talk about it, but to go and do and then to feel how your body resonates when you're doing the thing. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. Like turn it in. I say like gamify it, like make absolutely. it fun. Like it's like, there's all, I mean, you have like a smorgasbord of options to like do whatever, like regarding fitness, regarding how you're eating, regarding your philosophies that you like, go out and try, just give yourself a challenge. I'm going to read five different philosophy books and see which one resonates with me. And then you can go down that rabbit hole, or I'm going to try 10 different mind mindfulness practices because in the end, it doesn't matter which one you do. It's that you're giving yourself you know, you're continually pushing your edge yeah. to try to learn and grow and be. But a big part of that is like making space and time to do that. And Absolutely. I think today in our kind of busy lives, people put all of that on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I know that you find so important is journaling. Amen. So explain to me, when did journaling start in your life yeah. and how do you use it now? And how do you kind of teach it to use as a tool? For sure. Um I probably recommend journaling more than anything else because Mm -hmm. I think at the core, if you learn how to journal, you then become your own coach. And so I think that that's kind of the like end point for anyone who wants to try to help other people is you make them so they don't need your help anymore. It's kind of like being a great parent is you want to teach your kids enough to where they don't need you. And that's actually kind of scary for the parent. But so the beginning of journaling happened for me when um, the girl that I dated for like three years and I was absolutely in love with, we broke up and the the like three days before she left because we broke up basically because she was moving but we also knew that the passion was gone and we were pretending to be in love for like a year but we weren't and we were too afraid to have that one conversation anyways um i was squatting at the gym and i tweaked my back so badly that i couldn't i literally could not stand up for like five days oh no so i i was crawling on the floor to go to the bathroom i I couldn't stand up. And um, I bought The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Everybody put that on your list. Everybody should read that book. And so I was at this really intense, like, um, new chapter of my life. And again, like, uh, a part of me feels guilty about this, but I seem to have this really strong intuition that kind of just tells me to do shit, and I just have to show up. And I felt this irrational compulsion to do the artist's way Mm. religiously. Like every single day I'm writing three pages. And basically the way the journaling practice and the artist's way is recommended is 
You write for three pages. You don't edit anything. You never reread it. You don't show it to anyone. And the point is just to do it. It's not, it's not to make art. Just vomit on the page is one of the phrases that she says. And doing that actually got me back into reading Jung for the first time since mm -hmm. I was 19. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't explain why. It just kind of like as I started to clear my bullshit, it's like I could hear my intuition more. And I started reading Jung. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but before The Artist's Way, I didn't believe in God. And by the end of The Artist's Way, I found my God. Hmm. Like, I, I still didn't know what it meant, but I found a connection to something inside of me that felt godly. And since then, it's like, whenever I don't know what to do, seriously, like, it takes one page. And by the end of that page, I at least know what my next action is. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think is going to guide me the rest of my life. I absolutely think that's fascinating because for so many people, I think the idea, if you have not journaled, is like, oh, it needs to be, it needs to say, like, I'm right. going to turn, somebody's going to read this. Right. <laughs> somebody's going to find it in an <laughs> attic one day and turn it into a book. Right. <laughs> Which they're not. I mean, it really is like, that's what I tell people. I'm yeah. like, just start writing, like stream of consciousness. Like, it doesn't matter. It can yeah. be gobbledygook. And it really does calm that kind of monkey part of your mind especially if you do it in the in the beginning of part mm -hmm. of the day like in the morning if you have any, any sort of anxiety i use it for people who do emotional eating i'm like sit down and write for one minute yeah i go 90 percent of the time most people will not eat whatever they were about to eat i've never and heard it used that way but that makes sense in 60 yeah. seconds it's like i'll set a timer for 60 seconds and write down and if you still want to eat the damn donut eat the <laughs> donut after but i promise you it's probably emotions coming yeah. up that you're not you're not re even maybe even realizing that are there and you've become so disconnected from self. And so it creates that reconnection. How Absolutely. do you how do you then have people like so say people, OK, now we've started journaling. What would you say would be the next step on kind of this mindfulness, maybe creating some more yeah. spirituality in your life? You're doing journaling consistently. What are some other practices that people could implement? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And uh, what you just shared makes me think about what I think about journaling is the most important. And it's essentially people developing the habit of actually being honest with themselves. So when you don't, when you write in a way where you don't expect it to ever be read, it allows you to kind of take the critic away or the mm -hmm. censor. And if you dare, you actually might be honest with yourself for the first time in your life. <laughs> Novel idea. Right? <laughs> and I think that that is actually how the healing process starts is our, we are so weird, but we are afraid of our own truths. But the fact that we are afraid of them shows us that some part of us knows that they're already true, you know, and, and there's this internal resistance. And so at least in my life, the degree to which I'm able to be honest with myself seems to have a direct correlation to how much grace my life seems to give me. And so I think if you develop the honesty, then the next practice is, okay, what do you want? Like, mm -hmm. imagine that you actually get to get the life that you want if you're willing to make the, the adequate sacrifices, which is all the bullshit that you do that you know you shouldn't be doing that you have to give up in the name of the thing that you say that you want. Mm -hmm. And so... A practice that I really like is imagine that 
I, I guess there's, there's a couple ways to do it, but the really easy one is try to imagine the life that you want five years from now mm-hmm. and viscerally imagine that day from beginning to end and write it out like moment to moment. Feel it, smell it, taste it, experience it. And the thing is that you could be wrong, but to do it badly is better than to not do it. And just if my my own life is my only data, but it is eerie how much life seems to give you if you set a super viscerally clear intention. Mm-hmm. And what I offer people that I don't hear offered enough is when you do that, also write out exactly the life that you would get five years from now if you didn't do any of the things that you knew you should. Mm. If you let all your bad habits control you, if you stayed weak and you kept lying, like what type of life would you create? Mm-hmm. And then I think you get a heaven and a hell in mm. some sense. And um, there are types of people and there are people who will resonate with the heaven, but there are people who will be motivated viscerally understanding the hell that they could create if they kept just being weak. Yeah. That is the number one thing I have people do. That's the first step with every single client is the day in the life project, which is a Debbie Millman kind of thing that she got from some other person at some point. But it really is. It's like people are never have given themselves the time. I'm like, I want you to devote three to four hours. Like I want you to really like clear a day, have some tea, put on (laughs) some comfy clothes, go somewhere that inspires you. And I mean, I'm like crystalline. I'm like, what are your sheets like? Like, who is your dog? Like, I want you to get like as crystal clear, because even if you got 60 percent of it compared to like if you never give yourself the time, because your life is going to look a lot different and you're going to make a lot different choices if you want to live on the beach in five years in Costa Rica than if you want to be the CEO of a company. But if you're not thinking about it, I love this idea that people are going to wander into their dream life. They're like, I didn't plan at all. And all of a sudden I'm here and look, I have all of this amazing stuff that I never even thought about. (laughs) That doesn't happen. (laughs) I haven't seen it. Yeah. And then it gives you real actionable goals, which I know you say you really want to pick kind of an inspirational goal that will kind of keep pushing you. How do you feel about goals and setting goals in people's lives? I've actually been playing with this idea a lot lately, and this might get weird, but I'm sure this is a podcast to get weird. Yeah. um, So I think if you look at like Western and Eastern philosophies, kind of the core um, highest goal of the Eastern philosophy is basically, if you imagine that life is a video game, the end point of Eastern philosophy is to recognize that it's a video game to put down the controller, you know, and just to be like, okay. But it seems like the um, main story of Western philosophy is like, pick the biggest fucking dragon you can find (laughs) in the game, find all the allies, train as hard as you can, take on as much suffering as you possibly can, and then go slay that dragon. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, both have their merits. and But I think that there's a third way, which is essentially, especially because I, I came from the West. I can't pretend that I came from the East. And maybe the story that I would tell would be different if I was born in that part of the world. But because I was born in the West, it seems as if the best story, the best way to do this is you set the most inspiring goal that you can possibly fathom like what is the biggest problem in the world that you could solve and then once you set that goal then you bow before it and you 
make all the sacrifices that you need to make. And my intuition is that at some part along the path, you can actually give up the goal because you're so in accordance with the type of human that you would have to be to achieve it, that you actually achieve the Eastern Mm -hmm. ideal Mm -hmm. where you don't even have to try and just your way of being is going to be in such a way that you solve the problem. Mm. But I think to start, especially if you come from the West, you have to make goals. Mm -hmm. Because I hear the people who are in the Eastern camps, especially if they come from Western world, they actually look down on goals and think that goals is missing the point. I think that goals help you calibrate your GPS, and then you can get so good along the way that you don't need it anymore. Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, I think you're right about Western culture is like we've been kind of inundated, like we have to go achieve something and go achieve something. For a lot of people, what I actually want people to unpack is not only just like the actual goal. It's like, what emotion are you really going for? Because the Mm. thing is, you see people striving and striving for the thing goal, like the the money, the job, the lady, the whatever. And then if you get it and you actually haven't achieved the emotion behind it, that's when the emptiness comes in. And that actually feels worse than never getting the goal because, I mean, I'll tell you just on like body wise, like I'll, I work with girls all day long. They're like, I just need to be a size six. And I'm like, but why, but why? I was like, what is that going to give you? You really want to be confident. But if, if you haven't worked on the mindset part, I'll get you to a size six you'll still hate yourself and yeah. it'll feel worse because now I got the thing that right. I thought I wanted and I got it and now I still feel like shit. Yeah. And you see that with people with success, especially around money and business, like you've worked and worked and worked and I'm on top of the hill and I have right. the house and I have the girl and I have the, all the stuff. And then they're like, Oh shit, I'm still miserable. I still feel awful. Yeah. <laughs> I still hate myself. I still am unfulfilled because yeah. I haven't done the emotional work to really tap in to the path, which I'm thinking, you know, you, I heard you explain it one on one podcast as your Tao is like, you haven't really embodied the emotion that you want to feel when you get there. So a couple of things come up when you say that. And I think that you're completely right. Um, is that whatever your highest goal is in some sense, that is like a godlike thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's the thing that you're sacrificing to, And the thing is that you can pick the wrong God. Like, I think that that's a mythological motif that, you know, is shown over and over again. And I actually heard uh, Mark Manson talking about this on a podcast with Aubrey. And I think it's going to be kind of the main crux of his next book. But he was talking about, like, be conscious of what your God value is. And if Mm. your God value is a thing, you're probably going to have a very uncomfortable uncomfortable time when you achieve it because your God value – calibrates your emotions, basically. Like, it lets you know what's good and what's bad. And the thing is that if you achieve it, you have to, you're going to enter a period where you don't have a God value. And that's like when people, like, suffer really severe depression. It's because they don't have the thing that they're aimed at. So what he talks about is what the Greeks did is that their highest values were virtues. They were principles. They were ways of being every day that you don't ever achieve, like truth or love or gratitude, or honor, like those things cannot be achieved. But if that's your highest value, Mm -hmm. you can do it every day. And you're emotionally calibrated every day. Uh, 
I love that. And I think having people write a really strong value list is so important along with doing kind of the day in the life, the like really innate, detailed oriented is like then draw from that. What are the values that you see pulled out in that? Right. Is family super important to you? Is your honor, is, yeah. is service to others? Like what are those things? And then you can you can start integrating those big things mm-hmm. into your life every single day. If service and family is of paramount to you, which I hear people say, and then I see you not spending time with your family or making time to actually give, be of service to right. other people. You're just lying to yourself and to everybody else. And everybody Absolutely. knows it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that that is a really interesting way to kind of wrap up is like being a real mindful piece of like, what do you want and what are those values? And so now we're going to go into my favorite part. We're going to do some rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. What is your spirit animal? Owl. Oh, why an owl? Um, I, uh, my perception. And I feel like the owl can see in the dark. Oh, that's a good one. You know, it's interesting. I've never had anybody say owl like it. (laughs) Hootie (laughs) hoo. What is going to be the name of your biography? A useful fiction. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Who's going to play you in the movie? Someone who's not alive yet. So I don't know. Oh. Hopefully it'll be after I die. I don't want to have a biography while I'm still alive. Oh, okay. That'd be awesome. All right. <laughs> final question. Two-parter. What advice would you give to your younger self? You can tell me how old that person is. Okay. And then what advice would your 90-year-old self give you today? It's going to be the same advice. Oh. And it's tell the fucking truth. Do you think you would have listened when you were younger? It would depend on what the experience <laughs> was about how he, I came to me and told me. Uh, what would have made you listen? Um, if it was a hallucination or a dream that had the vividness of a psychedelic experience, I probably would have listened. Because you listened to those? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Is there anything that you didn't get to say on this podcast that you want to share with the world? Um, probably things that I will learn over the course of the rest of my life that I don't know now. But, um... I think that the most practical thing that you can do every day to become who you want to be is to tell the truth to yourself and to other people. And it's my highest value. And I still see places every day that I don't do it, but I'm always trying to do it more. And I really think that that's the fucking key. Truthbomb.com guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, Eric. You are one of my favorite humans on the planet, even though we just met, but Seriously, follow this guy on all the internets. He's all the internets. Um, he's an amazing dude. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm ready to start a journal. How about you? Thank you, Eric, for sharing your wellness wisdom with me and our listeners. If you loved Eric like I do, he's also a fellow podcaster. And you can hear more from him on his podcast, The Myths That Make Us. We put a link in the show notes. The Balanced Badassery podcast team includes me, Allie Waddell, producer Mariah Gossett, audio engineer Jake Wallace, and thanks again to Foundy Media for your support. Balanced Badassery is available everywhere you get your podcasts, so share it with your friends and your loved ones so you can have more badass people in your life. We'd really appreciate it. I'd really appreciate it. 
You can follow me on social media at Allie Waddell, A-L-L-I-W-A-D-D-E-L-L. Thanks for listening.